So today we're in a message series called Worst Case Scenarios. There's a popular book that you can find on the internet with that title. It's called Worst Case Scenarios and it's expert advice for extreme situations that you might find yourself in, such as how to escape from a sinking car <laughs> or how to fend off a shark, how to, uh, how to survive when you're lost in the desert. And in that book, there's, I think, 41 scenarios of extreme situations. And uh, we're going to be using some of those extreme situations as metaphors for the kind of difficulties that we experience in life. Maybe you feel like you have walked through your own fires or floods, or you've walked through the desert in some way, or, or some personal disaster of your own. And there's a book of the Bible called 1 Peter that talks a lot about some of these worst-case scenarios. And we're going to be walking through each chapter of 1 Peter over the next few weeks. Uh, it was written by a guy named Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers. And when it was written, it was about a few decades after Jesus had died and rose again that Peter had this letter written. And it was not just to one person. This letter was written to really circulate church communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So this letter is addressed to Christians that were experiencing a lot of persecution and hostility from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And Peter wrote to encourage Christians in the midst of their suffering. Last week, we explored some of the devastating things in Peter's own life that made him somewhat of an expert on how do you live through a worst-case scenario. So we're going to jump in to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're starting off this series right, right at the beginning. I'm going to read from verse 3. And Peter writes, he, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're going to look at some of these verses a little bit more closely, but you notice a theme of life and death and birth in these verses. So the metaphorical worst-case scenario that we'll look at today is how to survive Code Blue. And Code Blue is part of an emergency system used in hospitals. And it's an alert, if there's code blue on a floor, it's an alert that someone is in critical condition, usually cardiac or respiratory arrest. You know, they've either they've stopped breathing or their heart has stopped beating or both. And if you work in hospitals, you might know this already. You might be familiar with code blue. And, um, got, or, or if you've had a loved one who has gone through that in the hospital. I think it's amazing that God has given doctors amazing technology and skills to help bring people back when they stop breathing or when their heart stops beating. It's incredible. And I'm going to tread lightly on this metaphor if there's a possibility that maybe you've walked through a code blue situation, but I think there's a really powerful truth to consider when we look at this idea from a spiritual perspective, not just physical. So spiritually speaking, we all start out in code blue. Every, even though our bodies are alive and we, you know, we're walking around like I could shake your hand and we could talk to each other, the truth is we start out dead inside, existing with no spiritual pulse. So somebody in code blue, they have no pulse, and you're trying to bring that back. 
That's actually how we start out spiritually. If you look again at verse 3, it says, Because of God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that means if God doesn't intervene and bring new life to a person, they're dead and in desperate need of help. This spiritual reality can be really hard to grasp. It's, it's, if, you, if you're like, am, am, I, am I spiritually alive or spiritually dead? It's not, like just to even think about that can be kind of hard because, I mean, I'm, I'm walking around. I'm, I'm walking and talking. I'm, I'm alive. In fact, I feel great today. Like, how, how, how would a person know whether or not they're spiritually dead? It's possible for our bodies to appear full of life on the outside, but on the inside, we're spiritually dead. So here, here, let me give you a few examples of where this comes up in other like, life situations. Think about fruit that looks fine, but it's rotten on the inside. This is a disgusting picture of a guava fruit. <laughs> uh, fruit that went bad. This, this happens to apples. Avocados, man, it drives me crazy when I'm getting ready for a nice fresh avocado and there's just mushy goo on the inside. Um, imagine taking a big bite of an apple or a guava like this, fully expecting the delicious fruit, and you bite into brown, slimy, rotten mush. It's disgusting. Um, actually, eggs. Eggs do this too. This shell looks fine, and then, you know, maybe you got a really bad egg. So the appearance looks totally fine from the outside, but it's nasty inside. Or consider a car that won't start. You get up for work, you get ready, you hop in the car, turn the key, and nothing. Have you ever been there in that situation? You're like, I had no idea. I was fully expecting to go to work. I had, in fact, I'm late already. I had no idea this was, I, that it was dead. I mean, if you just looked at the car, it looks fine, right? It looks fine from the outside. I don't, it's, it's dead, and I don't even know why. It could be the battery. It could be something worse than the battery. Maybe you just washed it that weekend and it's sparkling clean. A shiny car that's lifeless does you no good. <laughs> so it's dead inside. Or consider this, imagine a house that looks normal on the outside, you walk by in the street, but the inside has been corrupted either by time or fire or neglect. Just walking past the house, you'd have no idea what the inside looks like. You'd have no idea that a house like this photo, it would be an unlivable disaster. So whether it's fruit or cars or houses or us, people, sometimes the outward physical appearance looks just fine, but the spiritual reality on the inside is dead and lifeless. No one could know just by looking who's alive and who's dead spiritually. Yeah, I can't know. I can, I can look out here and I can't know for sure who's alive spiritually. Paul wrote about this too, and he said that our own sin is what causes our spiritual death. In Ephesians, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. So there, there might be some people here today who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. And so you might say that a person like that may be investigating Christianity. They might say, listen, I'm not dead. Stop saying I'm dead. I don't feel dead. My life is fine. My life is good. But my response to that, if somebody would say that, I would say, how would you know? How would you know if you're spiritually dead? Because um, how, if a person was physically dead, how would a physically dead person know that they were dead? Well, their mind no longer functions. There's, nothing, there's no pulse. A dead body is physically unable to perceive a physical world. 
A person that's dead spiritually cannot perceive a spiritual world. So how could you convince somebody of their spiritual deadness? I would maybe ask this question. Maybe, maybe get the, the ball rolling. I, I would say, do you, think, do you think there's more to life than can be tested with physical senses? Certainly there's things that you can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell with all your senses, but isn't there more to life than just what you can sense with those five senses? Things like relationships. That's not visible. There isn't, you know, you see evidence of relationships. You can feel things, but, or how about, how about goodwill? Or joy? Could you, like, take some joy out of the fridge and put it on the table and somebody could taste it? No, like, that's not how it works. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a physical thing. Or how about expectations? Expectations are like a non-physical thing, right? And you know what's fascinating to me is uh, <laughs> sometimes you see road signs and they say, it'll say, um, uh, expect delays. Road constructions expect delays. Have you ever seen those before? And I think those signs that they put up are, are probably cost the city money. It costs them, it costs them, they have to pay somebody to bring the sign out there, turn it on and run it. So there's like a lot of cost that goes into just telling people, adjust your expectations. That's like the only purpose of the sign, right? This is as expect delays. So why would, why would people go through so much trouble to like influence expectations when it's not even a physical thing? It's not even, well, could you like crash into an expectation? No, like, could you get expectations out of your pocket so I could touch it? No, all I'm saying is there's, there are some non-tangible realities that have a very big impact on life. Things you can't feel, taste, touch, smell, but they really, really have a huge impact on us. So I think the spiritual reality is much more real than people tend to give it credit. Paul mentions this, or actually Peter, we're, we're in 1 Peter 1, he mentions this in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, you, though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, none of us have seen Jesus with our own eyes, yet many of us know that he is real beyond a shadow of a doubt. There are plenty of people and places that you've never seen with your own eyes, you've never been to, maybe in history or just in modern, uh, modern times. You've never seen there, you've never been there personally, but you believe they exist. So when it comes to spiritual things, a faith that believes without seeing comes with inexpressible joy that the world will never, will never know. So at the risk of, of making you feel slightly uncomfortable with this code blue situation, I wanna show you an EKG monitor. EKGs are used to show heart rate, and when the monitor flatlines, that means there's no heartbeat anymore. And so the clip, I'm gonna show you a clip, it's just a few seconds long, but as you watch, don't, it'll, it'll probably trigger like an image of hospitals in your mind. Don't think about a body in a hospital. Think, and think instead about your spirit or a person's spirit, the inner being, the flat line for the inner being. So go ahead and just show that clip. That's a painful sound to listen to, not just like how high-pitched it was, but 
when you listen to a flat line like that, you see it in movies or, or you know, maybe you hear, hear it in real life, it instantly reminds us of death, right? That's what that sound triggers. Death is the ultimate worst case scenario. So it's worth getting slightly uncomfortable for a moment because the stakes couldn't possibly be higher. Today we're, we're talking about matters of eternal life and death. Even though everybody cares about their physical health, sometimes it takes a jolt to seriously consider our spiritual health. Because of our sin, every one of us starts out with a spiritual flat line. So that flat line that you heard, we all start there. We all start spiritually dead inside. And we can't bring ourselves back to life. There is, a person on a hospital bed cannot resuscitate themselves. They cannot bring themselves back. Spiritually, we are utterly helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot resuscitate ourselves. The good news is this. Peter writes that the mercy from God produces new birth. Mercy from God produces new birth. This is why Peter starts out this chapter with what to me sounds like explosive praise to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Since we cannot bring ourselves back to life, we are utterly dependent on the mercy of God. We don't, and, we, and it's called mercy because we don't deserve it. We're, we are so rebellious in our deadness. If God did not have mercy on us, on, if God didn't have a mercy on a person, that person is not going to experience new life. You can't, you, a, a, a person that has not received the mercy of God can do nothing for themselves. It's out of God's great love and his kindness that we become born again. Everyone's born physically, but spiritual birth is a second and greater birth experience. So, how does, if we're stuck without God's mercy, how does God's mercy reach us? How does God bring mercy to produce new birth in someone? It happens through the preaching of the gospel, the good news. Peter writes later in this chapter, in verse 23, he says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So have you ever heard the gospel in your life? Have you ever heard about how Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Have you ever heard about how God raised Jesus from the dead to set you free from your own spiritual death? Have you ever heard about how Jesus wants you to have eternal life forever in the family of God? All of those things, those realities, can be found in the Word of God. And if you've ever heard this good news before, that means the mercy of God is at your doorstep right now. While we hear it, while we hear this good news, God comes in and causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. To put it another way, if you hear the gospel, it's like you're code blue on the hospital bed, no pulse, and the great physician is standing over you, rich in mercy, holding the electric paddles, ready to give you the charge that will spark brand new life in you. Do you want to receive God's mercy? For those of us who have been born again, the spiritual realities get even richer. Our new life and our new inheritance are guarded by God forever. Not only do we get new life, but we also get, we get gravy on top of that. We get an inheritance. 
It says in verse 3 through 5, He has given us new birth into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So when a baby is born into a family, and we saw some kids up here today, um, that child gets to experience all the privileges of being in that family. So maybe they've got season passes to Six Flags. That's a, that's a perk of being in the family. Or maybe, maybe they have a nice house. Or, or maybe that family's got a loaded nest egg sitting in a bank account somewhere, and there's, there's some rich inheritance. Or, on the flip side, maybe, maybe, that's not, maybe you've been broke your whole life, and you never got much financial help from your family. There were no great inheritance to be passed down to you. That's, you know, when we're born physically, it's just we get whatever the family has at the time. When God gives us a new birth, it's a different story. We're born into his family, and then we inherit all of the privileges of his glorious estate. He will dump his lavish generosity on us like a good father that delights in his children. He will make sure that nothing happens to our, to our inheritance. You know, on, on earth, sometimes... People fight over the inheritance. You know, surviving family members, maybe they'll cheat or swindle extra for themselves, or they're trying to rework, rework the, the documents. Or, or maybe there's fires or disasters that blow the heirlooms away and they get corrupted or destroyed in some way, or lost or spent. God is preserving our infinitely valuable inheritance so that nothing can cause it to fade or be stolen. Our salvation is being guarded by God himself, by the strength of his mighty hands. He's guarding our new life, which means that his power is at work to keep even our faith from failing. He will not let any ultimate damage or corruption come to us. So spiritually speaking, we will never again be in a code blue situation. God has promised to sustain us and carry us all the way. We have utmost confidence because everything is done by God and we are kept by his power. So you might consider taking the next step as we look at this. Um, consider, consider one of these. If this resonates with you in some way and maybe you haven't, maybe you've never quite crossed the line of faith and put your faith in Jesus, I, I would recommend this. Drop to your knees in prayer and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like we said, if God's mercy doesn't come, we got nothing. We got no hope. We're just dead on the table. We say, God, have mercy on me. If you want new life in Christ to be spiritually reborn, then humble yourself before God and call out to him for mercy. Ask him to save you from your sins. And if you're unsure how to do that, we'd love to help you. We'd love to help you with that. You can let us know in your connection card. There's a box you can check. I want, to, I want more information about finding Jesus. Um, another next step might be, if you've already committed your life to Christ, then the response would be to lift your heart in praise and say, like Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could spend some time in prayer this week reflecting on, on this gift. He, he did not have to, to save you. He did not have to give you mercy, but he did out of his kindness and his love. And after your heart is overflowing with gratitude, you'll feel motivated to take the next step, which is to walk in careful obedience and holiness. God's mercy towards us really should motivate us um, 
to become holy and pleasing to him. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, um, as obedient children, this is kind of like, once you, once you realize you've received his mercy, here's what you do. Don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So some of the specifics about how to do that, how, how do we live out walking with God? How do we live out, um, you know, that seems like a pretty high calling, be holy like God is. We're going to look some more about that as we walk through the book of 1 Peter. We'll, we'll be looking at all kinds of other worst-case scenarios, like how to survive a wildfire. And that's a metaphor for when we've been burned and scorched by other people. Or how do you escape from a mountain lion, much like our spiritual enemy who wants to devour us? So I would invite you to come back next Sunday. Um, let me pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this day to celebrate mothers and this chance to look at your word, this very rich reality of spiritual life and death. And we know uh, when we look at your word that we'd, we'd be utterly hopeless and helpless without you. Pray that you'd bring spiritual illumination and insight and enlightenment to each of us as in our own walks with you. And uh, we thank you so much for those of us that have put our faith in, in Jesus. I, I thank you for that we can just walk together um, and walk towards obedience and holiness in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.